Hey podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us for the teaching from Reality Church in Vancouver. As you may have noticed, if you're a regular podcast listener, we've had some audio issues uh, with several podcasts in the past, and we've missed out on a few. So we've just been having issues of the actual recording itself. Um, We switched to a new audio recorder this week. But unfortunately, as you can tell, not everything worked out and it is super distorted. So we've tried our best to limit that and limit the distractions so that you can hear it without uh, wanting to pull your hair out. But you will notice that it's quite distorted. We're continuing to work on it and hope that we will be able to clean it up for you next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And here is the sermon for this week. Welcome here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John, and along with Mitch, I am one of the pastors here. So super grateful that you are joining us this Sunday morning. Um, we are in a series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we've been in since uh, just before Christmas, and uh, we're looking at this passage from Matthew 11 again this week. We looked at it last week, and we're going to finish it off for this week. So I invite you to stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is God's word. You can grab a seat. Well, like I said, this is the second week that we're in this passage, and uh, last week I know many people were away because of reading week, and then also, unfortunately, our, our audio recording didn't work, so I'm going to give a bit of a recap of, of what we talked about, because there's overlap from last week to this week. So uh, just looking at this passage, we hear the words of Jesus. He says, come to me. There's an invitational language uh, to what Jesus is saying, and it's an invitation to come to him an invitation for us to know him. It's a relational invitation. And the invitation is for those of us who are weary and burdened. Now, I said this last week, for for me, as a 21st century person, I can look back and see why God would say that to people in the first century. It was a really hard time to live. It was a very difficult life that they have or had. And and now in the 21st century, though, this, this passage still rings true. Like this offer of rest for us, this, this call to those of us who are weary and burdened, many of us feel that call. It resonates with us. And this is one of the most popular passages in the Gospel of Matthew. So why are we still so burdened? And why are we still so weary? Why are we tired? Well, one answer comes from a French sociologist. His name is Elaine Ehrenberg. And he wrote this book, uh, which was translated into English. You can go to the next slide. And um, it's called uh, The Weariness of the self or the fatigue of being yourself. And he asked this question, why have we seen this massive rise in kind of these weariness, uh, mental illnesses, he calls them. So for example, depression or anxiety or burnout, how, why have we seen such an astronomical rise in them in the past you know, 50 years? And so he charts the history of this question. And he says there's three main reasons why we have these, uh, why he thinks there's such an incline in these um, mental health uh, Diagnoses. The first is meaninglessness, he says. So back in the day, people used to have these big stories that they were a part of. There are cultural stories or religious stories, and that gave your life a sense of meaning. Why are you here? Why do your actions matter? Why does your life matter? But of course, today we've pulled away from all of those stories. We don't have those big stories to situate our lives in, so we have a sense of meaninglessness. What does it matter if I do or don't do something? What does it even matter if I live or if I die? He says you can't live like that for very long. And so what we do is we we go and we grab new stories to be a part of, stories that give our lives meaning. But this creates a lot of pressure because we're not handed a story anymore. You're not told who you are, but you have to choose. 
And so there's freedom in that, but it also creates pressure because you have to choose the right story. And not only do you have to choose the right story, but you have to then perform in that story. If the story is about you, then you have to star. And it puts pressure on everybody else because everyone else becomes your audience and they have to validate your story. And so there's a sense of pressure. And then thirdly, he says, it's not that you just have to do this one time, but you have to do it again and again and again and again. The world accelerates and you have to keep up. And these three things, he says, together are why he thinks there's such a rise in fatigue of being yourself. Now, that's kind of a meta answer, more of a philosophical answer. And uh, so I wanted to give us uh, uh, also a, like a personal answer put this into a story of a person so you can understand what it looks like. And this week, uh, I was reading this, uh, this article in um, one of the blogs that I follow. It's called The Sunday Long Read. And you're like, I knew you were boring. This is the kind of things that I read, okay? But it's an essay um, by this woman named Sophie Eisenberg. That's her picture there. And it's called Spirit Matters. And I'm just going to read what, what she says. It just came out this week. And she's not a Christian, but she's stating all of these things in amazing ways. So listen to what she says. I'm sure no one expects a crisis of faith, but I was particularly thrown when I had mine. Until that moment, I wasn't even aware I had a faith to shake. I've been comfortably godless my whole life, admiring the poetry of the world's spiritual traditions without fear or resentment, but doing so from an enforced distance. Sound like anybody you know. Sounds like a lot of my friends. And it always felt to me as though I had a missing bone. I didn't understand the human search for meaning, and I felt fine without the certainty of a faith tradition. But I was fixing my hair in the bathroom one day when it all sank in. I met my own eyes in the mirror and accidentally made room for a terrifying thought. I found myself wishing I didn't exist. The sense of meaninglessness that Ehrenberg talks about. She goes on, and for the first time in my life, I found myself wondering whether I'd be coping better if I believed in or belonged to something larger than myself, this bigger story. The question had never been on my radar, but suddenly it felt important to ask because other people, lots of other people, were probably sharing some version of my disorienting experience as a result of the COVID pandemic. Those of us who learned how to evaluate our lives using external markers were bound to feel unmoored when these parts of our lives were thrown into chaos. In the first six months of the pandemic, I lost career momentum, income, community, mental focus, even independence as I moved back in with my mother after over a decade. So here you see that pressure that she's chosen this story to live in, and all these markers are things that she's making progress, that she's doing well. But during the pandemic, they all came crashing down. Maybe you can relate. Wan Young Cho, a therapist and assistant professor at Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education and Counseling, explains, what we thought was objective is actually conditional. And the curtain has been lifted, and we're feeling betrayed. But there's no one to blame, because we kind of did it to each other and to ourselves, right? This therapist is saying what Ehrenberg is also saying. If the pressure is on you to choose your own story and your story falls apart, who's to blame? It's us and ourselves. This is the downside of freedom. So these are the burdens that we carry as modern people, beautifully written by Sophie Eisenberg. And Jesus wants to come into this story for people in the first century or people today, those of us who are burdened, those who are tired, those who are weary, those who are fatigued. And he comes with this beautiful offer then of rest. He offers us rest. And last week I talked about two things that he means when he says rest. The first is rest refers to this giant story of God. When you click this word, if, if your Bible was online, and you click this word rest, it would send you all the way back to the beginning of the story of God. Chapter 1 in Genesis, the first book, 
because that's where God describes what rest looks like. We see God coming into the world, and there's all this chaos, and God rightly orders it, and then he comes and he sits, he rests in his world. He takes up residence here, and we're invited to work along with him to create spaces of shalom. And rest is the world being properly ordered in that story. That's what it looks like. And it also, if you clicked on that word, it would send you to the last chapters of the Bible as well where we have this vision of what rest is in the future. And it's, it's not just a garden this time, but it's a garden city. And we have this privilege of coming. Jesus is at the center. He's giving the whole city light. And we come in and around him. And we once again work with him and with each other for the restoration of the world. That's what the vision of the story of the Bible is. It's this big and beautiful story of rest that we're invited into as God's people. But what most of us do when we've rejected that story, you may say, I believe in it. But for most of our lives, what we do is we narrow our story down to this little moment in time that I exist, my story. This is how Sophie Eisenberg writes it about her own life. She says this, after unconsciously believing that I was on some sort of hero's journey for most of my life, that is most of us, our lives are accelerating in this little moment that I need to win in this little moment, however that looks for you. After unconsciously believing that I was on some sort of hero's journey for most of my life, I was suddenly broke with no apparent prospects at 34, and worse, mooching off a parent. When I looked in the bathroom mirror that day, it occurred to me that this might not just be a bump in the road to somewhere better. I might not be headed anywhere at all, and I didn't have the tools to tolerate that possibility. Her life was falling apart, her little story was falling apart. And this is why it's so important for us not only to hear this big story that we're invited to as God's people, but to see the life of Jesus coming into that story. Because when he comes, he comes as a person who's not just helping you accelerate your life, getting it up and to the right that everything works out, but he comes and he suffers and he dies. And that means he gives meaning to each of these moments in your life, even the moments that are going downwards, that are not in the way that you think that they should be. And we have the privilege of walking with him in this dying and rising motion of what it means to be followers of Jesus. And so rest when Jesus says it, is this call to this bigger story that we're invited into and the life of Christ. These two things for us, that's what Jesus means. The second thing he says is, it's not just rest, it's rest for our souls. And again, this is referring back to the story of the, the Hebrew scriptures, that we as people are made in the image of God, and we're holistic people. We're mind, we're body, we're spirit. We're mental, we're emotional, we're spiritual, we're physical. All of these make up what we are as humans. And we have to pay attention to the whole thing. He's offering us this kind of rest, full rest, holistic rest. Again, here's how Eisenberg writes her experience of this. She says, by the summer of 2020, I could predict every recommendation likely to be in those regularly published COVID wellness articles. I was exercising regularly, eating well, practicing sleep hygiene, using meditation apps and all the rest. You know, like we all were, right? This does not describe how healthy I was. So she's much healthier than me, and I won't put it on you, but you too. And here's what she says, my body thanked me. My mood was better than it otherwise would have been. But none of it stopped the hole that grew in my gut. There was a piece of her that was missing. She was taking care of the physical and the emotional, but something, the, the soul, was missing. So she continues, I stumbled on an entire body of academic literature that I had never heard of before, literally thousands of studies, according to Neil Krauss, suggesting that people who choose to lead a spiritual or religious lifestyle tend to experience better mental and physical health. 
And it was the collective richness of these spiritual experiences that taught me something about turning my gaze outward and waking up to the world again. Beautiful language. Instead of focusing inward and focusing on this tiny sliver of life that she has, she's called outward to look outward, look beyond, become a soul is maybe the way that the Bible would say it. And those are the two things. When Jesus offers rest, this is what he's talking about. Rest of being in this big story and seeing the life of Jesus that can make sense of even these moments of suffering in our lives. And then the rest of being a soul, the rest of having a soul, of being a holistic person. So let's, today we're going to look at the next two verses. That's a bit of a recap of, of what we talked about last week. Um, but the question today is how do we get this rest? How do we receive this rest that Jesus offers? So he says to me, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Then his next words are, take up my yoke. Take up my yoke. Now, what is a yoke? You have to ask this question first. We're not first century Jewish farmers, so most of us think of like an egg yoke or yolks, you know, the restaurant, the wonderful restaurant with the, uh, what kind of potatoes do they have again? Truffle potatoes, yes. If you haven't experienced the glory of that, uh, that is very important. That, that's really the point of this sermon, actually. But yoke, what is a yoke? So this is a picture of a yoke. A yoke is a wooden bar or a frame that joins two animals like ox or horse together so that they can pull a wagon or a plow. So that's the picture of what a yoke is. So it's a work instrument. It's something to plow a field. And, and at first glance, this seems absolutely paradoxical to us. It's like Jesus is like, you want to be rested? Get to work. We're like, that's, okay, which one is it? And Dale Brunner, who's a, a commentator, helps to voice this concern. He says this, a, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. And that's probably how you feel. Some of you are like, you want to offer me rest, Jesus? Send someone to babysit my kids for the weekend. That's what I need. Pay my student loans. Pay my mortgage. That would give me rest. We just spent a week in LA at Disney, and we came home, and we're like, we need a vacation from our vacation, OK? That's what we need, ultimately. That's true rest. But Bruner continues. He says, Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry that life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Instead of offering escape, he offers equipment. See, Jesus never comes and says, you won't have any burdens. That would be him lying. That'd be offering escape. That's the uh, plot of every like luxury car commercial. We've been watching, we were watching some basketball at March Madness recently, which means that I have to watch commercials. And there's a lot of luxury car commercials. It's like, you know, that's the offering, escape. If you, you know, is your life tough? Buy this $100,000 car. Drive the Coca-Cola, put the top down, feel the wind through your ever-thinning hair, <laughs> and you will be able to escape all the problems of your life. That's not what Jesus is, is offering here. That's an invitation to be a consumer, not an, an invitation to a transaction rather than an invitation to a relationship, which is what we've seen Jesus already offering us. That's an invitation to be a self, to focus on yourself rather than to be a soul. And it, it's, 
we were talking about this in our community group. Jesus never uh, offers us an escape from, from work. That's not what the, the Bible is all about. And I think many of us have that idea in our minds. I talked about this last week, that when we go to heaven, it will just be like this really, really long Chris Tomlin concert. You know, just a lot of people on the front with feathered hair. And you're just there standing. And if you get bored, you can take your gold-plated scooter home and play on your you know, PS7. It hasn't even come out yet, but you have it. You know, this is the kind of idea that we have of what heaven is like. That's not what Jesus is talking about, and that Bible never gives us that idea. Rest in the Bible is actually a partnership. It's a partnership with God and a partnership with each other to create shalom. That's what God invites us into. And so Jesus is being super honest here. We will have burdens in this life. He says that in just a few verses later. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And to be honest, if you take Jesus seriously, you will, you will have new burdens that you didn't have before. You'll have, you'll, you'll have a whole new family to navigate. You thought your family was messed up. Wait till you meet some of the weirdos that we have here, okay? You have that whole new family to navigate. And, the, and by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will continue to come into your life, and he'll say, hey, this area that you're living in right now, like relationships, you're just off, and I invite you to a new kind of life. Your wallet, the way that you use it, you're just off. I invite you to a new kind of living, into a new vision of what it means to be human. The way that you parent your kids, the way that you view your work, all of these different things. You'll have burdens that you didn't have before. And so Jesus here is being honest. Life is burden. You only have two choices about it. The first is what kind of a burden are you going to carry? Are you going to carry the burden, the fatigue of being yourself, of finding a story and trying to star in it and making everybody else your audience and doing that again and again and again. That's your choice. Remember, Jesus' language is invitational here. If you want that life, that's yours to choose. Jesus says you can, you can carry that kind of burden, or you can carry the burden of being in Jesus' story, in God's story, in this big story, where he's in the starring role, but we have this beautiful place to play. That's our choice that we have. What burden are you going to carry? And the second one is how are you going to carry the burden of being human? And who will you carry it with? And that's what we're going to focus on today. So what does Jesus say about his yoke? What does it look like? He says four things. The first two are descriptors of the yoke. And then the second two are reasons why we, we should choose Jesus. They're like reasons why his yoke is a good thing. So the first two just describe the yoke, and we'll go through those quickly. And then the second two talk about why. Why choose the yoke of Jesus? So here's what he says about it. He says, take up my yoke. And this may seem very simple and obvious, but Jesus is saying there's something unique about the yoke that he offers. There's something unique about him. He, he's saying everyone else has a yoke for you. You can choose any story to be a part of. There's a thousand and one out there stories that, that you can choose to find yourself in and make your own life. That's up to you. But Jesus is saying, I have a unique offering for you. I have a unique way of envisioning what it means to be human and find rest. And so his invitational language, Jesus comes and asks us, do you want this rest? Do you want this cosmic and eternal rest of finding yourself in this bigger story and living an unhurried life? Then he says, you have to come to me. The invitation then is to come to me and take my yoke. There's something unique about what Jesus offers. And the second thing he says, he says, take my, up my yoke and learn from me. Learn from me. This is the invitation to be a disciple. Jesus here is using ancient rabbi language. So Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He's more than that, but he's not less than that. And so rabbis back in that day would invite people to follow them, 
to take on their yoke. And the disciples would leave their families and they would follow this rabbi around as they learned his way of life and his teaching. And they took that on for themselves. In fact, there's this blessing that said that, that uh, it's blessed to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So you get this picture of this rabbi walking down these, these dusty roads from town to town as his disciples follow him and they, their clothes get covered in the dust. And this is the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him and be covered in his dust to take on his way of life. Watch what he's done and imitate him. Learn to be human and find rest. Now, a pastor in uh, um, Portland, John Mark Comer, says this, so many of us want the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. So many of us want the life of Jesus without adopting the lifestyle. Maybe to translate it into what we're saying today, so many of us want the rest of Jesus, but we're slow to adopt the lifestyle. We're slow to take on the yoke and learn from him. And this is such an important statement for, for us to hear because many of us in this room, we believe in Jesus. We have no problem with that, but we don't have his lifestyle. And, and so if, we, if I ask you, is your life one of rest? You're probably going to say, not really. Not really. I believe in Jesus. I'm a convert, but I'm not a disciple. And Jesus is pushing on that here in this passage. He says, if you want the rest, you have to take on my yoke. You have to learn to follow me. You have to be covered in my dust. And so we won't receive the rest unless we've listened to the full invitation of Jesus from this passage. Now, these descriptions that Jesus offers in this passage are really difficult for us to hear, I think, as modern people, because we live in this era of authenticity. So, you know, in, in our world, we have all these platitudes like, you be you, or be yourself, because everyone else is taken, these kinds of things. And so when we hear the, the voice of Jesus come and say to us, you know, I have this unique way of being in the world, come and follow me, take on my yoke, it rubs us the wrong way. And it's very natural for us to ask questions like, well, what about me? Like, what about my independence? What about me? I don't want to get lost in the shuffle here. But I want to remind us again of our conversation from last week. If you reject Jesus' offer, and it is an offer, it's an invitation, the other offer isn't all that great because now you're stepping into a story that's exhausting. You have to perform again and again. You have to choose and perform and keep up over and over again. And it creates a lot of pressure on you and on the people around you. But secondly, we also kid ourselves if we don't think that we have a rabbi. We think Jesus' offer here is just, it's blunt. I want you to follow me. And so it, it kind of repels us. But we're naive if we think that there aren't other people out in the world also offering the same thing to us. They just don't call themselves rabbis. One of my favorite authors, Jamie Smith, he says, our idea of authenticity today is like you're on the phone if you're younger than like 25. This is a phone. This is how we used to do a phone. Um, but it's like you're on a phone call and you're asking into the phone, who am I? And the other line is in your other ear. And it's you whispering back to yourself, be yourself. And he's like, that's the picture of authenticity that we think of today. It's a circular argument. And he says that in reality, there's always someone else on the other line of the phone telling you who to be, who to become. Maybe it's, it's your parents in your life. Maybe it's people that you follow on social, me social media. Maybe it's people that you look up to at work. Whoever it is, there's always someone else on the other end of that phone call inviting you to become someone. So Jesus is just one of those rabbis. And that's the question. Who is our rabbi? Who is inviting us into this life? And is it a life of rest? 
Now, Sophie Eisenberg, her story, the woman that I, I read from at the beginning, is a great example of that. She's trying to be a self her whole life. But when her story took a dip, when her life didn't work out the way that she thought it would, she had to find guides to help lead her out. She had to find new rabbis. And so that's what she went and did. She found counselors. She found uh, researchers. She found spiritual people and pastors to help lead her out of the place that she found herself. And so we all need rabbis in our lives. We're kidding ourselves if we don't have them. The question is just really, why would we choose Jesus? Why become his disciple and take on his yoke? And that's the last two things that Jesus says to us. So let's look at them now. Why choose Jesus? He says, because I am lowly and humble in heart. I'm lowly and humble in heart. He's saying many things here, but one of the things that Jesus is trying to tell us, the reason we would take on his yoke and, and him as a rabbi, is because he's fully human. This word lowly means that he's fully open to the work of God in his life. We see that in Jesus' life, that even though he's God, he's equal with God, that he comes as a human, and therefore he opens himself up to show us what it means to be truly human, the work of God in his life. And he says that many times throughout the gospel, I'm here to do the work of my Father. So he's lowly. He's not the star of the show. He's coming into God's story, and he's coming as a human. He's showing us what it means to be human. The second is that this word humble, this means low to the ground. That's what it means, that he's, Jesus is down to earth. The Bible says many times there's nothing special about him. If he was to walk into this room, we wouldn't know that he's the son of God. And this is how God chooses to come, lowly and humble. And it's the center of who he is. It says that this is his heart. There's a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly. Many people in this community have read it and loved it by a guy named Dane Ortland. And he says this, if we don't know Jesus as gentle and lowly, we don't know him at all. This is the heart of who he is. And this is such a different story and a different posture than the other rabbis in our world. Because when we narrow our story down to this really small story, and it's about success and winning in our lives, then the people that will follow are those who will promise us success in this story, those who are crushing it and want us to hit subscribe. And so Jesus' offer comes as totally different. He doesn't come like that at all. He doesn't say, hey, your, your life is headed this way, and I can just be a rocket booster just to get you a little farther. That's not how Jesus comes. He comes in a different story with a different posture, humble and lowly. And this is beautifully reflected once again in, in Sophie Eisenberg's essay. So she went through this, this moment where she had a spiritual crisis, and she's reaching out and just trying to meet new people to show her a different way of being human. And she meets this woman named Sandra Charleston. Here's her story. After moving to LA to pursue her passion for acting, she ended up working in a hospital HR for over 20 years in order to ensure her benefits for her asthmatic son. So I know we have people that work in uh, healthcare professionals, so this is no offense to you. But for Sandra, that's a step down. She wanted to be in Hollywood. She ends up working in HR in a hospital. Ironically, she was now unable to get care for her own painful condition, a torn rotator cuff that was no longer a priority in the city's overwhelmed hospital system, kind of backstabbed by her job. Another step down. To top things off, her 90-year-old mother had moved in with her in December 2019. So now Sandra was sleeping in the living room and figuring out how to care for her mother without getting too close and putting her at risk of catching COVID-19. They'd already lost family to the virus. Does sound like a story you want? If you saw this person on Instagram or social media, would you be like, I need to follow them. They're just crushing it. This is the best. But listen to what she writes. And yet, 
Sandra laughed easily and often when we talked. More importantly though, being raised in a family full of Baptist preachers had embedded her in the knowledge required to face difficult situations. I know who to go to when I'm having a tough time. Sandra described her way of praying as more of a never-ending conversation than a scheduled activity. It permeated her days and ensured she was never alone. So if things ever became overwhelming, it wasn't difficult to know where to look. Always turn it over to God. Easy, she explained. You're never in control. Easy. Does her life sound easy to you? Doesn't sound like it to me. But this is a woman who, despite her circumstances, is living in a different story. Her life is not a life of winning. But Sophie is drawn to Sandra's story because it's real. It's honest. Sandra, this woman that's described here, knows how to carry a burden, an easy burden that Jesus comes and offers. And so Sandra became a guide to Sophie, because, not because her life was up and to the right, not because she was just nailing it, doing amazing, but because there's something about her that's truly human. She is gentle and lowly, and she knows how to carry a burden because she knows Jesus. And she's taken on his story and taken on his yoke. And Jesus comes and he offers us exactly the same thing. That's what he's referencing when he says, my yoke is easy. Some translators translate this saying, it fits well. That the yoke Jesus puts on it fits well. He knows what it's like to be a human. That's what he's trying to say. I'm gentle and lowly. I know what it's like to be you. Not the you on Instagram, not the you, know, you that dreams of, of living in West Vancouver with a $20 million house. The you that you are right now, the burdens that you carry, Jesus understands and he knows. And he says this yoke fits that life, a burdened life. Why follow Jesus? He's gentle and he's lowly. He knows what it's like to be us and he offers us equipment for living in this world. So he says, take up my yoke and learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart. And finally he says, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two beautiful pictures of a yoke here. The first is uh, this one. So a yoke was, was used by two animals together. And if you've read the Bible or you've gone to any Christian dating seminars, you know that you should not be unequally yoked. This is the first thing you learn, I think. Um, and you can see one of these uh, cows is slightly smaller than the other one. But uh, so it's true that you wouldn't want unequally yoked animals because then what the stronger animal would pull in one direction and, and, and then your lines wouldn't be straight, for example, if you're plowing. But when animals are learning, they pair stronger older animals with younger, greener animals in order to teach and train them how to hold a yoke. When Jesus says his yoke is easy and light, he is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, get in here with me. I'm in the yoke with you. I am going to teach and train you how to carry this load. God is with us. You're not on your own. Jesus is right with you carrying the burdens that you have. That's the invitation. That's why it's easy and light, because he wants you to take on the yoke that he has. He's side by side with you right there, wanting to teach and train you how to live this life. You know, one of, um, one of the uh, disciplines I've taken on as, as a pastor is to try to pray for our community. And so I pray for you guys daily and then um, spend a bit more time, uh, usually on Friday, praying for our whole community. And if, you, if you're not uh, on that, I email you or text you usually and, and let you know that I'm praying for you. And if you're not on that group, then let me know. I'd love to add you into there, if you're, even if this is your first week here. 
But one of the things that's just been such an encouragement to me along these lines is that I can sometimes go into those moments thinking like, okay, I have the burdens of all of our community, all the things you email and tell me, and now I'm bringing them to God. But the Bible actually says several different times that Jesus is actually praying for us right now. He's interceding for you and for me. And so when I come into those moments, I'm not going by myself carrying all your burdens. I'm joining Jesus in the work that he's already doing and he's been doing. And I just come into that moment with him. And as the smaller cow, I take the yoke with him. And we learn, I learn from him, learn how to pull together. And that's a totally different feeling to those moments of prayer that I bring. Jesus is with us wherever you are. He wants to teach and train you. He's already in the yoke with you. He's not distant, but he's far. So God is with us. That's why the yoke is easy. And then he also says other, other places in the Bible that we carry each other's burdens. That as a community, we learn to walk with each other through the struggles of life. And so that's the second reason why the burden can be easy and light, is because you can gain a whole new group of people, a whole bunch of cows, really strong cows, to carry burdens with you. That's why the burden can be easy and light. But there's a second image, uh, and it's this one. So there's yokes for animals, but there's also human yokes. And these are usually pieces of wood worn by a single person to distribute the weight of a load across your shoulders. And as we move towards the ends of the Gospel of Matthew, kind of at this point, we need to start picking up a theme that we haven't talked about very much because it hasn't been talked about too much so far in this, uh, in this series or in the, the passages that we've looked at. But in just a few chapters, Jesus will say something utterly shocking to his followers. Matthew narrates it like this. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. See, as Jesus begins this road towards Jerusalem, he's headed towards the greatest burden that he will carry, which is his death. And he's forced to carry his cross through Jerusalem to the place where he will be crucified. And when we think of his yoke, it brings up this amazing picture for us, that Jesus carried these burdens for us. He carried this yoke the burdens of the suffering of the world and the weight of all the injustice of the world, everything that's been done to you and to me and to us throughout history. And he takes up all the failures of the ways that we've, or the ways that we failed to image God and live up to this beautiful picture of what it means to be human, which the Bible calls all these things and so many more the weight of sin. And Jesus picks up this cross willingly and carries it for us, our yoke. So why is the yoke of Jesus easy and light? It's because he's carried the heaviest one, the one that's impossible for us to carry, the weight of our sin. And as we come together, both preparing ourselves for Easter, but every week as we come together and we take communion, we remind ourselves of this story that Jesus carried this heavy yoke for us. We take the, the wafer as his, a reminder of his body and the juice as a reminder of his blood, and we recommit ourselves to following him invite him into our lives and choose the path of being his disciples together. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. If you're weary and you're burdened, if that's who you are today, the invitation is for you. Come to me, receive my rest, and take my yoke upon you because I'm lowly and humble in heart and my burden is light. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for this word. 
And um, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and, and just hear the offering that we have from you. Um, probably very timely for many of us. So I pray that we would receive it today. Um, for, for many of us, I think that we have believed in you and uh, we hold that up, but I, uh, we lack in the area of, of being your disciples and taking your yoke. So teach us what that means today. May this be a moment where we uh, commit ourselves to taking your yoke on, you, on ourselves, to being your disciples, to seeing that you're there with us, to being a community of people that pull along with you and with one another. And as we look to the cross, as we prepare ourselves for this story of Easter, may we also see how you've carried our sin for us. Make us eternally grateful as we respond in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.